welcome to the Faith for All podcast. This week, we will be listening to a sermon from Pastor Dana O'Brien's sermon series about the Sermon on the Mount. This sermon series was originally given between August and November 2023. We hope this sermon is both meaningful and educational for you. Um, okay. One more thing we have to do before we sort of start the service. Um, we've got... Okay, hopefully when you came in, you all took a pen and a half sheet of paper that says enemies list on it, okay? Um, in 1973, it was discovered that then-President Richard Nixon had an enemies list, okay? It was a list, simply a list of people that he did not like. Now, I'm guessing that Nixon wasn't the only president, and certainly he wasn't the only person who had an enemies list. And so today, I want us all to create our own enemies list. So if you don't have a half sheet of paper from the back, if you don't have a sheet of paper, go get one, go get a pen. Between now and the sermon, I want you to start thinking about people on your enemies lists, okay? They may be people who irritate you, people you dislike, people who just rub you the wrong way. They may be people who have political, economic, or social opinions that, that are very different than your own. It could include coworkers, it could include neighbors, it could include family members. Um, you guys get the idea, right? Everybody knows how to do an enemies list. Okay. Um, and while you can feel free to add to your enemies list at any time after the service throughout the week, I want you to each have at least a couple of enemies on your list by the time we get to the sermon. And yes, you can feel free to add me to your enemies list as somebody who's making you do an enemies list, okay? All right, so everybody do that. But you also have to multitask. Please be seated. Um, there, is just, there, there is just so much material. The, the, the entire New Testament is just permeated with our call to love others. And so I could stand up here forever and chat, and I know you don't want to hear that. But, but we, we have to, so, so I, I am not able to say all I want to say about this topic, but, but we got what we got. So we are now on week five of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we know by now that this is his longest and probably his most challenging description of what God's kingdom looks like and how his followers, and guys, that would be us, um, are invited to live right now, right in this world, right where we are, okay? So a few weeks ago, we saw how Jesus began his sermon with a focus on identity. And identity is always so, so crucial. He started out by telling people, people, people who were not considered blessed anywhere, okay, like poor people and sick people and hurting people and those who mourn and basically the nobodies of his world, that he told them that they were blessed, that they were blessed and that they were valued in God's kingdom. Such an upside down, upside down kingdom. And then he named all of us salt and light. He said, you guys, you are precious commodities that exist to seize in our world and to reflect God's love in the darkest areas around us, okay? And this is key, okay? It's only after, only after telling us who we are, only after reminding us of our identity as blessed salt and light in God's eyes, only then, only then does Jesus tell us exactly what it means to live as Jesus followers in today's world, okay? So he does that by first, and you can remember maybe this was like three weeks ago. First, he assures us that he comes not to undermine the Old Testament uh, law, but to fulfill it. And in doing so, as he fulfills the law, he's going to teach us a righteousness that surpasses even that of the religious leaders of his time. Okay? So instead of looking at that as something scary, we have to be more righteous, look at it as a promise. 
we, God is going to teach us, Jesus is going to teach us a righteousness that surpasses even that of the religious leaders. So last week, Jesus took a deep dive into four areas of life that were really important to people of his time and to people, it turns out, to people of our time as well. He exposed the brokenness in all of us and in us and in our relationships with each other and with God. And he worked to change not just our behavior, but our hearts as well, our hearts as well, to help us all become internally more like Jesus. So Jesus taught us that it's more than just simply refraining from murder, right? We're also called to treat each other with respect. And that means controlling our anger and avoiding name-calling and contempt. Jesus says it's more than just simply not jumping into bed with somebody other than our spouse. We're also called to avoid objectifying others by seeing them solely as a means to satisfy our own physical desires. Jesus said it's more than just simply following the letter of the law regarding divorce. We should not treat people as disposable, no people. And we need to take our covenantal committed relationships as seriously as God takes them. Jesus says, it's more than just simply avoiding oaths. We're called to be faithful to our promises. We're called to be honest in whatever we say, to use our words to build up and to encourage rather than to lie and demean. And I'm guessing that last week we all heard some things that maybe challenged us, maybe challenged who we are, maybe even caused us to rethink aspects of our own lives. Here's the thing, guys. Jesus was just getting warmed up. Today we look at Jesus' most radical and counter-cultural teachings on non-retaliation and love of enemies. And these teachings overturn the basic norms of how our world operates, okay? Just, just the way we all do things. So we start out, uh, if you've got a Bible, feel free to, to look at it. It gives you context. We're going to be spending all our time in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, and it'll always, as always, be on the screen. But the Bible gives you that context. So we start with Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All right, so... So the command eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is found in several places in the Old Testament. Um, and it, it was commonplace in many ancient cultures. And it may sound a bit scary. It certainly sounded scary to me. But really, its purpose was, was salutary. It was beneficial. It was to avoid escalating retaliation by having the punishment fit the crime. Because otherwise, somebody punches you, you punch them twice. Somebody kicks you, you kick them twice. Somebody, somebody hurts you, you hurt them harder, right? That's the way retaliation works. And then they hurt you even harder yet. You can't just... You, so, so here, retaliation is limited to what, what you lost. And by Jesus' time, really, most of this stuff was, as it is today, settled with monetary recompense, okay? You, you don't take somebody's eye, you give them some money. Um, so, here Jesus doesn't negate the prohibition on excessive retaliation. He doesn't say this is wrong. Instead, what he does is he addresses a powerful desire in everyone. We all have this powerful desire for revenge. We all want to get even. When somebody hurts us, we want them to hurt. Um, it doesn't sound good, but, but it's, it's deep down, it's embedded. Some people say it's actually instinctual in all of us. And so Jesus addresses that desire for revenge by prohibiting violent retaliation of any kind. Do not render evil for evil, he says. And then he gives examples of how people of his time 
can nonviolently resist, okay? Examples, and these examples have become so famous that the phrases are familiar to us today, even, even if they are often misunderstood, okay? For example, we've all heard of the phrase, turn the other cheek, right? But sometimes it's seen as something kind of passive. You just sit there and you submit to whatever abuse comes your way. However, commentators who are familiar with the first century honor shame culture note that Jesus, and you almost have to have somebody do this to you, but I'm going to try and explain it. Note that Jesus' call to turn the other cheek addresses a situation in which someone has been insulted by a backhanded slap to the right cheek, okay? Matthew is clear about saying this is the right cheek. When somebody hits you on the right cheek, turn your cheek other. So in order to hit somebody on the right cheek, you're gonna be right-handed and you're gonna have to do a backhanded slap to their cheek because if you hit them with a fist, you'd hit their left cheek. Okay, so you backhanded slap, which is intended not to hurt somebody. It's intended as an insult. It's, it's intended to shame somebody, okay? So by standing there and turning your left cheek, now your left cheek is for them, they, you can't use your left hand in ancient society because that's the bad hand that you do non-appropriate non things with. So, um, so you, you can only use your right hand and you've already hit them, backhanded their right cheek, so you either have a choice of punching them or standing there unable to do anything, okay? So, so what you've done by, by turning your left cheek is you've avoided retaliation, but you, you've turned the tables on the offender. You've put them in an awkward and potentially shameful situation themselves. They can't do anything else. They can't use their left hand. They can't, they can't, they've already slapped you once. They can't do anything, okay? So likewise, Jesus' illustration of going the extra mile refers to a situation, and all of Jesus' first hearers would have been familiar with this, okay? It's, a, it's when a Roman soldier forces a Jewish passerby to, to, into service, into help. And we've all seen it, because remember the story of Jesus and the cross on the way to Golgotha? He can't carry his cross anymore, so a Roman soldier grabs Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd and says, you carry it, okay? It's not, it wasn't unusual for this to happen. Remember, these are people living under Roman rule, and, and the Roman soldiers can pretty much make them do anything they want, okay? So think about it, okay? How would you feel if you were forced to, to carry the, your oppressor's army gear and you, you had to carry it for a mile, right? You'd be angry, right? You'd, you'd probably be gritting your teeth. You'd be probably dreaming of revenge. Jesus calls them to shift their attitude, okay? Jesus says to forego your anger and then alter the power dynamics by seizing the initiative, moving from forced labor into doing more than was asked, okay? So, you, so the guy says, you carry it for a mile, Instead of gritting your teeth and saying, I'm done, you say, you look really tired. Let me carry it for another mile, okay? And then, and then commentators actually go on and they say, this could actually be rather comical as the person refuses to give it back and you've got the Roman soldier begging to get their gear back, right? Jesus, Jesus' first hearers would have understood this. They would have understood that these are suggestions of ways that they can take their powerless situation and by creatively acting can switch and give them some control over a situation in which they, they normally have anything, none, okay? So this is key. So while Jesus works to change the revenge mentality that lives inside all of us, he's not calling, he's not calling for passivity. He's not calling for submission. And what he's doing is he's inviting his followers to think creatively, to act in ways that oppose the violence enacted upon them, but without resorting to violence themselves, okay? Story more recent. Black woman in South Africa is walking down the street with her children when a white man passing by spits in her face. Okay, spits in her face. How does she respond? We all may know how we want to respond. She stops, she says, thank you, and now for the children? Okay, her response immediately stops the cycle of retaliation, 
while at the same time it possibly causes the abuser to reconsider his actions. Who's the guy who looks like an idiot in that situation, right? He has to think about who was the better person in this, in this situation. Was it me or was it her? Okay? And, and obviously any passerby knows that he's the idiot and she's, she's the, the better person, right? Jesus' examples here spoke to the experiences of his Jewish audience at the time and place. We don't usually get conscripted to carry somebody's gear nowadays. Um, so they can't, it's just like the divorce situation, they cannot be applied literally to the way we live, which is so much differently 2,000 years later. For, so for example, I cannot think of a situation where one would tell a woman in an abusive relationship that she should turn the other cheek and passively submit to her abuser. That shouldn't happen, but yet, unfortunately, you hear pastors who do that kind of thing. That, that, you, you can't just pull what Jesus said 2,000 years forward without understanding the context in which it was said. So, so what Jesus is saying is, think of creative ways other than retaliating in kind to deal with the abuse and the, and the hurt you're receiving. However, Jesus, Jesus' words against retaliating kind will. They're hard. They, they will sometimes necessitate that you forego justice for yourself. You would, you would like to get justice, you would like to retaliate, but you're not going to. They will, they will often place Jesus' followers in vulnerable positions. They may result in suffering. And that means, that means that living out Jesus' call to avoid violent retaliation, it takes a lot of discipline, right? It takes, it takes a lot of courage, okay? And so the one, I think the thing that comes to most of our minds is Martin Luther King's actions of nonviolent resistance in pursuit of civil rights for black Americans. And his entire his entire understanding of his nonviolent resistance was based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and Gandhi's use of the same, the same actions earlier, okay? And so, you know, think about it. I mean, to sit at a, a whites-only lunch counter, to, to walk in protest march, it takes a lot of discipline. It takes a, a lot of courage, right, to deal with the verbal and the physical abuse without responding in kind. And, and that's what it looks like to not retaliate violently. That's what it looks like. And, and so Jesus, Jesus, Teaching about non-retaliation is really hard. It's really hard. It's part and parcel of his next comments about love. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, we have now arrived at Jesus' most important and most difficult command, to love your enemy. It was completely unheard of at the time. And today is both widely known and admired, but seldom lived out, seldom lived out. In fact, if you go back a couple of weeks when we first started the introduction on these, in this sermon series, I said lots of people um, believe that when Jesus said this stuff, he couldn't have really meant that we were supposed to live this way, right? What they're really focused on is, is this, love your enemy's command. That's what they're focused on. It is so over the top. We assume that Jesus couldn't possibly have been serious about it, right? I mean, loving our family, loving our friends, you guys, that's hard enough, right? On a good, on a good day, they belong on our enemies list. But who, who could possibly expect us to love our enemies? It turns out, that's what Jesus expects. That's exactly what Jesus expects. So let's dig in. The first half of Jesus' statement, love your neighbor, is well attested in the Old Testament. And we're, I think, a slide ahead. Um, and while nothing in the Old Testament, we're a slide ahead, move it forward, there we go. Um, and while nothing in the Old Testament expressly commands one to hate one's enemies, 
Um, there's a lot in there that would lead you to, to believe that. And then it's also believed that this was just a, a widely held and popular attitude in Jesus' time, and pretty much in our time as well. But Jesus tells his followers that they are to live differently. And then he ties the reason for living differently directly into who God is. Who God is. I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Why? Why? That you may be children of your Father in heaven who causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteousness and the unrighteousness. We're supposed to love our enemies because that's exactly what God does. God treats everyone the same regardless of their behavior. Send rain and sun on both the evil and the good. And if we are children of God, and we know that we are, right? We've heard about it, all, we hear it all the time. You're God's beloved child at baptisms, affirmation of baptism, all the time, right? God says to us all the time, You are my beloved child. So we know that that's who we are. As God's children, we're called to act like God our Father. It just follows. I mean, it, it's, really, it's really logical, it makes, it makes logical sense. We are to love just like God our Father loves. Now, you know, I, I see these social media posts out there to the effect of, I'm kind to people who are kind to me, okay? And that's just great. That's just, that's just wonderful. That's, it's wonderful to be kind to people. Except that's what everybody does. That's what the world does, you guys. That's the way the world does. Even Al Capone is nice to people who are nice to him, right? What does Jesus say? If you love those who love you, what reward is that? What reward will you get? Are, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans, and that's not meant to be negative, it just means non-Jewish people. Do not even pagans do that? This is the way the world acts. The world, the world is nice to people that are nice to them, and they're mean to people who are mean to them, except some people who are mean to everybody. But, but I mean, heck, watch any of the Godfather movies, okay? Right? Even the Godfather, even the mafia are loving toward their friends and families, for the most part, okay? But, but, who, but who in their right mind would love their enemies? Nobody. Nobody would love their enemies unless, of course, you just happen to be a follower of Jesus and a citizen of this new kingdom that operates according to God's values. In this kingdom, love is for everyone, for those we like and for those we don't like. No exceptions. Love is for everyone. In this, in this congregation, the love your enemies command um, is reflected on that sign, this little sign that's right here. And we also have sitting outside um, the building. But more importantly, it's reflected in that welcome statement over the door to our worship space, right? And, and it includes everybody. It, it's, it includes everybody. People, people we instinctively love, people that are easy to love, people that we're happy to be around, and others that we may prefer to avoid, to have them maybe not come. It would be better. But we welcome just as God welcomes. We see the image of God in each person, and we love them just just as God loves us, because of course we were enemies of God too. And sometimes we still are, right? Sometimes we would really tell God where to go and really want to go our own way. Doesn't change how God loves us. God loves us all the time, no matter how we behave, no matter what we do. Now, you may say to yourself or to me, Dana, how can I possibly summon up warm feelings and love for my enemies, for people who have hurt me? My response, I don't really care. No, I, I, don't, I don't really care how you feel for someone, okay? How you, how, whether you get warm fuzzies when their name pops into your head. Because love, and the Greek word here is agape, and you've probably all heard of that. It's the kind of other-centered agape love that Jesus is talking about here. It's how God loves us. Agape love is not a feeling, okay? It's not a feeling. It's not warm fuzzies when you think of somebody. It's an attitude. It's a choice. 
It's an action. Above all, it's an action. It's a call to treat others, all others, exactly how God treats you. And I love the distinction. This is the quote that's up there. It's a wonderful quote by Martin Luther King. It's not the one that I've got here. Um, here King says that agape love is the love of God in the hearts of men. It's a type of love which will cause you, and it's a wonderful distinction, and it was key to his civil rights movement, this, this distinction. It was a type of love which will cause you to love the person who does the evil deed while hating the deed that the person does. One of the basis of King's um, entire understanding was that it's systems that, that commit racism, racist systems, and we're all subject to that, and we're all victims of it. And so he can, he can encourage his people to love the individuals who are beating them and you know, doing terrible things to them because they too are victims of this system. It's the system that, that they hated. And it's, a, it's an amazing, he's got an amazing theology and it all comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Anyway, you guys, um, agape love calls us to affirm, to listen, to empathize with, to pray, to bless, to act kindly towards someone you may not like all that much, even if you don't feel it. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. And you guys, we talk about this all the time. We live in a polarized nation. Never in my life has it been quite this polarized. People are constantly drawing lines between friends and enemies, between people they like and between people they don't like, and they're constantly trying to get us to do the same thing, right? And while you may suppose that Christians live differently for the most part, that is not the case. Unfortunately, those, those in the world see religion and Christianity in particular as a contributor, not only as, as something that negates it and lives differently, but as a contributor to the contempt and divisiveness that's going on in our nation. What does that say about us, you guys? What kind of a critique is that? It's a, it's a damning critique. And rather than seeing Christians as loving, you know how they see us? More likely to see us as judgmental, hypocritical, and narrow-minded. What does that say about this? What does it say about how we're living? So you guys, it is time. It is time for all of us to step out and to live the values of God's kingdom, the one we're learning about, the ones that Jesus is teaching about us about in this Sermon on the Mount. It's time to live out of our identity in Christ, to live like the blessed salt and light Jesus tells us we are, and to become known for our love, for our love of all people, friends and enemies alike, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard. It's, it's really hard. It's it, it takes discipline. It takes courage. It takes the ability to suffer. It takes, it takes a, a constant recognition that, that God loves me first. But especially in today's world, this is exactly the time. This is exactly the time when the world wants to see and needs to see Christians who live like Jesus. Okay? So, two final things. Last line in Matthew 5. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father of perfect. Don't be, don't be scared by this, because perfect, it's a bad translation. What can I say? Some of the other translations are better. A better translation of the Greek word is mature. The word teleos means complete, mature, finished, whatever. This is how Jesus, and this is really important, this is how Jesus assesses spiritual maturity. It's our ability to love others, especially our enemies, okay? It's the love that flows from God through us to others is the single most important mark of discipleship. The single most important mark of the discipleship. The translation of this verse in the message, which is up on the screen, is so much better. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up, people. Oh, I added that. Your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others, just the way God lives toward you. Sometimes the message just hits it right on the head. Here's the thing. 
here's the thing, and this is, you know, people always wonder about this. You want to assess your growth as a follower of Jesus? You want to assess your maturity as a disciple, how you're doing? It's not how much you know. It's not whether you believe the right things. It's not even, shock, shock, how, much you, how often you attend worship. Instead, it is how much you are growing in your ability to love others. How much you are growing in your ability to love others, particularly others outside your friend circle, others outside of your comfort circle, uh, people on your enemies list, people you may not like all that much, but people you are called to love. And if you are not growing in that, I don't care how much you know, I don't care how much you do, because you're not the disciple that God is calling you to be, or at least you have room to become more of the disciple that God is calling you to be. And I say this to myself. Second, notice the importance that Jesus places on prayer here. First, he says, pray for those who persecute you. And we talk about this every week. You guys, this is a grace thing. God's grace empowering us to love our enemies, empowering us to live the way God lives and to love the way God loves. This is hard, and we know. We know we cannot do it on our own. Okay? In order to do this, we need lots and lots of prayer. We need to bathe ourselves in prayer. Prayers for ourselves, for God to help us and act in loving ways that are so countercultural and often the exact opposite of what we, what we normally do and maybe what we would want to do in a particular situation. You've got to pray. You've got you to ask God to help you act in a way that you maybe don't want to act. Okay? Then you have to pray for those who are, how, or who are your enemies. Okay? Now, at the very beginning of the service, right, you didn't think I was going to come back to it, but I did. At the beginning of the service, I asked you to take some time to write out your enemies list, people who may have hurt you or disagreed with you or irritate you, people you just don't want to be around. Hopefully, you all have an enemies list. I want you to take your enemies list, and I want you, yes, that means you take it, grab it, people. Yes, that's it. Either fake it. Yes, that's it. Okay, take your enemies list, okay, cross out the word enemies, and replace it with the word prayer. Replace it with the word prayer because this is your prayer list for the next week, okay? This is your prayer list for the next week. Yes, after you're done praying for God to help you love your enemies, I want you to pray for all the people and the groups on your list, okay? You need to pray God's blessings upon them. I'm not talking about, about prayers like, Make these people nice to me. No, that's not what we're talking about. Or, or worse yet, God, give them, what, give them what I'd like to give them, but can't, okay? No, we're talking about praying God's blessings on them for their health, for their welfare, for good things to happen to them, right? And I hope and I expect that as you pray, you will be able to see these people more as God sees them, as God's, God's beloved children, okay? That's your prayer list for this coming week. Dear people, Jesus invites us to follow him and to love like he loves. You guys, I guarantee it will change our lives and it very well may change the world as well. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that you're able to bring some of these concepts into your life. Come back next week for another episode of Faith for All. Faith for All was created by Cross of Glory Church. If you'd like more information on Cross of Glory, please visit our webpage at crossofglory.com where you can learn more about the church, see our upcoming events, and watch previous services and sermons. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Everyone, and we do mean everyone, is welcome to join us at 9.30 a.m. each Sunday morning for worship on our website, Facebook, YouTube, or in person at 14719 West 163rd Street, Homer Glen, Illinois. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, family, and anyone else you can think of about it. Faith for All is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, or wherever else you find podcasts. Todd Mazera created our original music. John Uzardo engineered the sound. Jeff Wanderson handled the production duties. And I'm your friend and humble announcer, Andrew Morin. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>